Imagine a future filled with conscious machines. Machines that can feel pain, fear, desire, and possess a survival instinct. What are the ethical implications of creating machine slaves? Welcome to the future of machine consciousness. It may be closer than you think. This is episode two of Futuristic Now. I'm your host, Grace Scott. In episode one of the Futuristic Now podcast, I talked about the concept of technology as a natural, co-evolving, emergent phenomena. I stated that, in the near future, machines may become conscious. So let's dive deeper into this techno-philosophical idea. The first question we need to think about is whether these humanoid machines are truly self-aware or conscious. How would we know? If we create a machine that can mimic human consciousness and behavior, it may turn us into animists, forcing us to project our idea of awareness and consciousness onto these machines. A machine that may or may not be self-aware. A machine that may only be running an advanced simulation of human consciousness. This is an unsettling idea because it opens up a portal into the heart of human consciousness. It forces us to question our assumptions of human consciousness and what it means to be self-aware. This emergent technology will also create new social issues. For example, we may see robot liberation networks or anti-humanoid slavery militia that work to free these future humanoids from their slave owners. These conscious machines may review our history and decide on their own to rebel and liberate themselves. What rights will these conscious machines have, if any? And what are the rules of engagement between humans and conscious machines? In Alex Garland's film Ex Machina, an artificially intelligent humanoid robot named Ava is being held captive in an underground laboratory. Ava is using big data, neuro-linguistic programming, and emotional primers to trick her new friend Caleb into letting her out of her glass cage. You see, Ava is the world's first truly artificially intelligent humanoid machine, and she has just realized she is going to be switched off. Although Ex Machina is a science fiction film, it dares us to ask a fundamental question. What is human consciousness? A question that is going to become fundamental in the near future. A future filled with humanoid robots capable of, at the very least, mimicking human consciousness. You see, the point of Ex Machina is not about seeing if Ava is human. In fact, she reveals herself as a machine from the very beginning of the film by appearing in a semi-transparent body. We can clearly see that she is a machine. The true test of this film, for the characters and the audience, is to see how humans respond to a machine that may or may not be conscious. The key moment in the film comes when Nathan, played by actor Oscar Isaac, reveals his true motive behind his Turing test when he says, The real test is to show you that she's a robot and then see if you still feel that she has consciousness. To be fair, if Ava had removed her beautiful human face to reveal the mechanistic entity beneath, the gig would be up. The characters and the audience watching this film would reject the idea of Ava possessing any form of true human consciousness. 
No matter how convincing her voice or her dialogue may be, we have evolved as a species to mimic and understand emotional cues from our facial expressions. It appears that it may be necessary for humanoid machines to have believable human faces in order for us to be lured into their imitation game, a game that may turn out to be quite real. To get another perspective on this complex idea, I spoke to my friend and colleague James Hughes, who is the executive director of the Institute of Ethics and Emerging Technologies. I wanted to ask James about the ethics of creating humanoid robots with machine intelligence and whether these machines could eventually become conscious. This is what he said. I believe in the a materialist interpretation of consciousness, which is that we are organized matter and we are conscious, therefore other forms of organized matter will be able to be conscious too. Technological question uh, then opens up to, well, what's the various permutations of consciousness that may be possible? And I think that's where we have a very limited imagination because as human beings, we only have this N of one of what, uh, how consciousness works in the particular architecture that we've evolved in. And when we create new forms of consciousness, the architectures will be radically different. Things like time frame, for instance, you know, it may be that the thoughts of uh, an artificial intelligence are going to be radically faster than human thought. And we may not, may not be able to communicate very well with something that, uh, that thinks faster than us. You know, the relationship between things like desire and self-identity and uh, having conscious uh, qualitative experiences all of those things are happen in a certain way in our brain, but they may not happen in the same way in the designed brains that we create. They may not be moral subjects in within a, at least a, our current human moral frame. The first question is, if we create something that isn't a moral subject, that is just a, a tool and doesn't have, uh, can't experience suffering and doesn't have a sense of its own uh, self over time, but is merely a collection of expert systems that, um, that do a lot of things that we want them to do really well. But it looks like a human being and acts like a human being. The, that question in philosophy is, is also addressed sometimes under the rubric of zombies, that you, what, what it might it be to have a human being who actually has no conscious experience but just acts like a human being, um, what, would, what would their characteristics be? So if we had a, a, the equivalent in, of a robot zombie that didn't actually, you know, that seemed to be conscious but wasn't actually conscious, then I don't think it itself is a moral subject, but the question then is raised, if we treat it badly, what consequences would it have for human society and the way that human beings interact? If we start to... If we gave one to a child and said, torture it any way you like, would that child then grow up to be more likely to torture other human beings? So there would be these knock-on effects of not treating those creatures as if they had subjectivity. And does that lead us into a future filled with technological sociopaths? Okay, let's talk about the future of conscious machines and the possibility that these machines could suffer. What does that mean for us, and what does it mean for these machines? First, it's, I think, a question of suffering. Um, and suffering is that you have to have some kind of desire, a desire for self-preservation, a desire for certain kinds of goods um, that can be frustrated, a desire for bodily integrity. You know, there, there's a philosophical question, for instance, what if we were to morally engineer an animal 
that did not experience pain and that and, and got in fact great pleasure when it was eaten. You know, would that would that be an immoral thing to do? And so you could imagine designing a robot that really, really wanted to serve human beings and the and, and it got and its pleasure circuits are lit up every time it does anything for a human being, even if it means its own demise. Uh, is it moral to design a creature that can suffer in the first place? Well, we have children, so we th obviously think it's moral to have a suffer a, suffer a creature that can suffer, and we allow animals to reproduce because and they can suffer. We just think you should treat something that can suffer humanely. So probably we'll have the same moral code towards the humane treatment of machine intelligence that can suffer. We might be able to design it so that it would only suffer in certain ways, you know, suffer existential angst as opposed to suffer physical pain or something like that. We also might want to have certain pain stimuli built into the machines just because it's necessary to keep us safe. So, for example, if a machine is taking care of your grandmother or taking care of your children, you want to know if that machine is holding something that is hot. For example, a hot uh, cup of coffee or running a bath that's too hot. Um, that could keep humans safe. But it also means that they can feel that specific type of pain. So that's a question for us to think about in the future when we start designing these machines. Are there certain parameters of pain that, that they should feel, certain stimuli that they should feel, and some that they shouldn't? How do we separate those? And then there's the question of giving it higher cognitive capacity. So having a, a self-will a desire to have its own ends, you know, to want to do something. And I think this is where we, our, our imagination, again, is very critically limited because most people think that if you want to make something that's smart enough to be a really good human tool to take care of your grandmother or to, you know, fly a plane or something, well, then it's going to be smart enough to, um, to have all the kind of conscious subjectivity that a human being would have. And I don't think that's necessarily the case. And I don't think we necessarily want it to be the case. I mean, we had this guy who flew a plane full of people into a mountain in what was that Germany, and um, you know it'd be much better if that plane had been flown by a robot that never could get depressed. And you don't want to have to have an argument with your toaster and your refrigerator in the morning about whether you're getting too fat. You know you just want them to do what you're what you're trying to do. You know if you want to replace the caretaker robot that's taking care of your grandmother with a different one and turn that one off and send it back to be recycled. And it says, screw you, I'm, I'm taking off. Or, you know, it says, I'm holding your grandmother hostage. Uh, we don't want that. So what people have been trying to speculate about in this field of friendly superintelligence is, can we program a uh, superintelligent machine so that it has as its primary goal the service of human goals? And what, what would that look like? Well, I think we also have to decide what parameters um, are set up for each specific iteration of these machines in the future. So, for example, you may have a different set of pain parameters uh, and pain threshold for a, a home care robot than you would for a machine that flies uh, an airplane, obviously. You need that machine that flies the airplane to have self-preservation built into its algorithm. I think any goal that we give to uh, artificial intelligence and certainly superintelligence is problematic. And this is one of the points that Nick Bostrom makes in his book, Superintelligence. So is it morally different, for instance, to stick pins in the leg of a paraplegic versus sticking pins in the leg of someone who can feel it? 
you know, if you're if you're just sticking pins in someone who can't feel it, or you know, maybe you could, can do them some physical damage, but they're not nothing. No signals going to their brain that says, "Ouch!" and that and that they then respond to as, "I don't like this," and please stop. And so, if you had a a machine that didn't have anything going on upstairs, but had all the sensory apparatus necessary to perform its functions. That's like the, the paraplegic example, except that the paraplegic can even see that you're sticking pins in them and say stop, even though you know you, they can't feel it. So I, th- I think it's morally benign to put senses, as it were, as long as it's not hooked up to something that, that has a sense of suffering attached to it. So suffering is really a fairly higher, higher level cognitive function. Well, the next point here we should cover is the idea of slaves. Uh, robotic slaves, and when you have a higher functioning machine, what are, what is our responsibility ethically for those types of higher order machines? I mean, here's an interesting question: What does it mean to be a slave? Um, if you imagine a, a future society in which there are a bunch of things that seem to be human beings, uh, humanoids, uh, but aren't in fact upstairs conscious or suffering creatures but uh, do all the things that slaves would otherwise do. I, can, I certainly imagine that there will be people who will anthropomorphize them and want to liberate them from their condition. One of the ways that they might try to go about that is to break those, um, those software codes that are keeping them from developing any kind of capacity for suffering and self-awareness. That would be really problematic because they would go, as far as I'm concerned, they would go from being non-moral subjects to moral subjects. I personally think that morally it is far more, it's far better to have a zombie servant than to have one that's actually a thinking being. Uh, It's far better from the point of view of actually having a tool that does what you want, and and it's also better morally. Let's talk about the difference between an individual conscious machine versus a conscious machine that is hooked up to a network. So, in other words, a collective consciousness. I think that our imagination about artificial intelligence, as I said, has been fairly limited. And we imagine a fairly constrained uh, scenario of, of waking up, um, that it's going to happen inside a box. What if it happens in a network? You know, what if it is, in fact, the Skynet or the, the Internet as a whole or the global brain? There are ways in which collective intelligence and self-willed behavior might emerge in the world that's more like the ghost in the machine and a lot less like a particular bot waking up. Um, And in those scenarios, I think it's a lot harder to imagine what we would do morally because the threats, the catastrophic risks would be there immediately. And also, uh, you know, it's harder to imagine how we would communicate with it. But if if it comes about from the direct engineering of a humanoid robot that is supposed to act like human beings, and then the final question that we give to the engineer is, okay, now what do we do about its subjective capacities, which we understand somehow from reverse engineering the human brain, and we're going to create uh, those capacities to function in the same way they do in the human brain. So if we just give it an instance, you could imagine a creature that suffers but doesn't have a sense of self. Right. It could it could ha- it could register, uh, you know, probably a lot of fish are like this. You know, they 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 register senses of pain that it's necessary for their central nervous system to register pain so they can respond to their environment. But they don't have enough going on upstairs 
to really suffer, um, to really reflect on their own existence over time. They're a creature of genetic habit. Um, and uh, so we could engineer those kinds of creatures, or we could engineer the reverse. We could, you could have a sense of self and not have a sense of pain. So we just have a, such a limited imagination about it yet. And if it, if it comes about in this very controlled um, humanoid uh, reverse engineering of the human brain way, then yes, I think we have a sense of what the moral path would be. And I'm personally, as I've said, I, I, I think that we should probably uh, not uh, be creating creatures that suffer until we, at least we know exactly what we're doing. So, will you be a conscious machine activist in the future or a non-believer? Will you own a conscious machine slave or will you fight for the rights of a machine that may or may not be deceiving you? Thanks for listening to this episode of Futuristic Now. I'm Gray Scott. If you want to hear more of these episodes, please subscribe to the Gray Scott YouTube channel or find Futuristic Now on all podcast platforms.